SPS Digital Learning Hour, brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. We're coming to you today from a conference room in Central Office, bringing you the latest news in Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. Thanks for joining us today. I am your host, Mike Thomas, the Bearded Tech Ed Guy. You can find me out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bearded Tech Ed, or you can find me on my website, beardedtechedguy.com. In case you missed it, the latest blog post is up there, and it's all about CS for All, which stands for Computer Science for All. This is a project that's been going on in Springfield now for over a year. We have a cohort of teachers, kindergarten and third grade, who have written lessons. We have teachers in first and fourth, which are working on lessons and developing their understanding of computer science and what that looks like in an elementary classroom. The article also talks about looking forward into what we're looking at for next year and how this grant that we got is going to work. I encourage you to check it out. We're doing a lot of amazing things in Springfield and you can find that out on my website or you can find it on our internal MySPS we learn blog page. Next week, there's a conference happening called MassQ, and I will actually be there presenting and talking about all the great things that we're doing in the district in regards to giving teachers voice, which this podcast is part of, and helping teachers grow in their knowledge. That's where the blog comes in and the podcast also. So we're going to be sharing about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And if you are able to, I would encourage you to come to MassQ. I'm presenting on Thursday and I would be super excited to see you guys all there. But for now, that's the information I got. Coming up next is our interview of the week. For this week's interview of the week, I met with William A., a fourth grade teacher over at Lincoln Elementary School. We talked about all the things that he's doing in his classroom and things that he's looking forward to in the future. Super exciting to hear someone who is a brand new teacher to the district. This is only their second year in Springfield, and so we're super excited to have this time to chat with him. So listen in. Hi, my name is William A. I'm a fourth grade teacher here at Lincoln Elementary. I have been teaching. This is my second year now of teaching. I got my master's degree in education, so I had one year of pre-practicum and practicum. So it's about my third year in a school. So for your time, have you always been in Springfield, or were you at other places first and then came to Springfield? So my teaching career started in Springfield. However, I did my pre-practicum and practicum north in Northampton and Amherst. So how was that? Because that's only a couple of years removed now. So how was it like being in the classrooms up there versus your classroom down here? Um, classrooms I was in before did not have the one-to-one computer. Um, it was much more just teacher-based technology. So whatever technology the teacher had is what was used for presenting. But the t- kids did not get any hands-on with the technology. It was all notebook writing, book reading, nothing on the, on the computer. They didn't even do like the bring your own device or any of that? No. Was that even encouraged? Not from what I saw, no. All right. Well, that's news because I've never been up there. I yeah. did my pre-practicum stuff up in Vermont. So okay. it's very long ago and very different. Right. So having taught in the last few years, what are some things about technology that has really helped you become the teacher you are now? Yeah. Um, having students with a one-to-one device allows me to give that technology access to every student. And when I model something on my end, um, for example, I use Word Doc a lot and we all use Word Doc a lot in our life. 
So, for example, when I'm modeling something for WordDoc on, say, how to write a painted essay, I can also talk through the way I am formatting my essay. Mm -hmm. So instead of just typing and typing, typing, I can say, okay, I'm going to press indent to start my paragraph. I then hold shift and press the first letter to start my capitalization and then keep typing. So it allows the kids to connect like, oh, I do this too. And then when they see me as a proficient technology user, they know they can become a proficient technology user as well and use the same strategies that I use. Nice. Especially teaching that shift with capital letters is very huge because I remember being in the classroom when the students first got their laptops, it was always caps lock S and then they continue their password and they forget to always hit the caps lock back when it's much easier to just hold shift S. Mm -hmm. So that's a great skill. That's it's good that they are seeing that from you so that they can in turn internalize it so that they can use it later. Too. Right. So with your teaching, um, we are here at Lincoln You've taught, I'm guessing, the same grade for the last couple of years. Yep. What kind of technology are you using with the students other than Word, which you had just mentioned? Right. Um, so students access the internet on iReady. They access it in the morning. They come in, they go into iReady after announcements until about 9.15. That's the online program that differentiates their instruction to get them to where they need to be. Um, that's for math and reading. So they do that in the morning. And then we won't get on the computers again. We put our computers away after I ready. We have our reading instruction. We have our reading time where they then go on to independent reading, which is not on the computer. It's from a book that they choose. And then they begin writing. We do our writing in notebooks for now. But then when it's time to end the unit and it's time to publish their final writing, they will go into WordDoc. And from there, they can start writing their essay over again. After that, they submit it on Unified Classroom to where we then have a rubric and we can grade it. So after that, after maybe just a few moments with publishing for their writing on the computer, uh, we then do science, mostly online as well. I'll put my end of McGraw-Hill, Inspire Science, up on the board, usually the handbook page. And the students then also have the handbook in front of them online. I explained to them that when we were children, it was textbook and with a book and how much money, we actually did a math problem, on how much money the district could save by not printing a book or not buying a printed book. So they bought into the idea that reading online is going to be easier for them to bring home, to bring all over the place, to save us money. And so they've really bought into the idea of how to access an online book. And I think that's also important because once they get to high school and college, most of their textbooks are online. And most of their resources that they're using are online. And the whole point of them having access to technologies as being a 21st century learner, which when I was in school for the past many years, it was all computer-based, right? I like for them to be able to know how to access these books on their own and how to use them on their own. So we practice for the first few weeks just logging on, just exploring the tools, giving them time to play and use the pen to mark up the whole page and color all over it and not read it at all, but notice the text features and the tools that mm -hmm. are online. And now when we go into science, all I have to say is, okay, get your computer out, open up the McGraw-Hill's uh, handbook, and we can get going. And within about a minute or two, hopefully within one minute, <laughs> they are on the, they're on the right page in front of them, and they're able to access the lesson themselves. That's awesome. So with the McGraw-Hill, how does that work in conjunction with STEM Sculpts? Because that's another program that we use for science in particular. And McGraw-Hill is also like the new science curriculum. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So how do those two things work together? Because they're two very different programs, from my understanding. Right. Um, I have more experience with that last year. Right now, we're slowly um, rolling out Inspire mm-hmm. Science. We haven't gone into STEM scopes much, but from what I recall from last year for STEM scopes, um, you can always STEM scopes being online. It has that online search capability. So all you would have to do is input the grade, the um, the unit that we're on or standard that we're using. You could do either one of those searches and you can match up the standards. So if we're working on right now, for example, we're doing life sciences, we could go find life sciences lessons in STEM scopes to supplement what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one way that we would do that this year is particularly for the inquiry activities, since a lot of these inquiry activities in Inspire Science need a lot of material that isn't provided by the district, we can look to STEM scopes to see if we can supplement that using technology. Can we, instead of having to model an earthquake, is there something on STEM scopes that can demonstrate a 3D or a, demonstrate a model of an earthquake that we mm-hmm. can use instead? So we use it mostly for supplemental activities. So you had mentioned at the very beginning, there, your students' days start with iReady, math, and reading. So is that when they, from the moment they walk in the door to 915? Because I know with buses and walkers, everybody gets here at a different time. 850 is like the normal starting time, I guess. Right. Yeah, so announcements are done by about 850, hopefully. And that's when I said, okay, now breakfast is over. We need to put our food away mm-hmm. and computers are out. The students have the option so when they get here at 830, if they're not eating breakfast and if they don't have a food or drink on their desk, they can go on to iReady right away and they can work all the way up until 915. And that gets them further in their goal. Our goal right now is about 75 minutes per week, which mm-hmm. is 15 minutes per day. They start with reading in the morning and we save the 15 minutes of math time for the afternoon mm-hmm. during our math block at the last 30 minutes of that math block. Um, however, on Fridays, like today, in the morning, some of them had 120 minutes on reading and 50 minutes on math. So I said, okay, switch to math because you've, re- you've reached your goal in reading. So we're working on students really being able to look at their own mm-hmm. progress, understand what that means, and then monitor themselves to make that next move. Like we want students to be able to realize if I've got 130 minutes on, I, on reading and math is significantly lower, I should put myself on math. Mm-hmm. That would be the goal. Yeah, teaching those kind of soft skills where they're self-regulating is very important, especially at this age, because they're only in this elementary school for so long before they're off at middle school where they're less regulated, and so they need to be more of self-regulation. Right, and no one's going to be checking in with them like we do here, right? Right. Like in middle school and high school, you lose that. You gain more autonomy and lose the teacher help. So we want to be able to make sure they can keep control of their own learning. Yeah. Did you guys use iReady last year? Yes. However, I did not have much experience with it because I was just the writing and science teacher. Okay. So reading and math did I ready, and I did not have any I ready experience. This is my first year with I ready. First year with I ready. So are you guys not departmentalized anymore? Correct. Last year we were departmentalized. This year we're self-contained. So that's kind of a big difference for the two years. In what ways do you see the positives of being um, self-contained versus departmentalized, and what are some of the cons that you've seen so far that maybe as the time goes on, you'll be able to work out so that they are right. no longer cons. We had a uh, big discussion last year at the end of the year with uh, with the fourth grade team and the coaches and Mr. McCann, our principal. Um, we all agreed that we need to speak honestly about what was good and bad about departmentalized, mm-hmm. what were the benefits, what were, what were the downfalls, and not for the teachers. 
that was where we started talking. We started talking about the teachers. Well, departmentalized means we only have to plan for one or two subjects. However, does that do anything for the students? No. Yeah. It might help our stress level, but that's about it. <laughs> so we all agreed after making this long list, we agreed that self-contained was much better for the students. Consistency is a huge thing for children this age. Having the same person to go to for an issue in the morning that they go to in the afternoon is beneficial to us because we can keep track of this kid and their emotions, how they're doing, how they're feeling throughout the whole day. Last year, if I had an issue in the morning with a student or if they weren't willing to work in the morning, it was hard to follow up with them in the afternoon once they've gone to two other teachers. And then when we go to speak with parents at the end of the day, you have three parents with three, or you have three teachers with three different stories, Mm -hmm. good, bad, or great, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. So being Self-contained allows us to keep track of each kid, allows us to monitor each kid and really measure growth, which is the goal of Lincoln right now is to measure the growth we're making since we need to do, since we have so much growth to make up. Mm -hmm. With some of the things that you're talking about, last year, did you guys use Class Dojo as a grade four or are you guys using Class Dojo this year as just self-contained or have you not even explored Class Dojo? No, we use Class Dojo. A lot. Um, yeah. Last year, we shared every class, so I had mm-hmm. 70 students on my class dojo. That made it tough, too, to reinforce positive behavior. When I'm clicking on dojo to 70 different kids, it makes mm-hmm. it a, you know, a lot to deal with. However, now self-contained, if I know someone's been having a stellar day in the morning and I don't reward them for that and we go into the afternoon, I can remember these things and say, okay, we should add five points here, add two points here, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. But it helps me keep track of each student. 70 was too many. <laughs> too many 10-year-olds. Many 10-year-olds. Yeah. Yes. 70 is always too many 10-year-olds. <laughs> With this year being self-contained, what are some things that you are looking forward to teaching? And how is technology going to work into those things? Right. I'm looking forward to teaching my students how to be 21st century learners. And that includes a whole bunch of different things for me. That includes technology and that includes knowing how to decipher true and false, right? Mm-hmm. How to go on to an online catalog and understand that this is an opinion piece. How to go on to the New York Times and understand that this may be biased one way or the other. How do you decipher that? How do you not? Especially in the age that we're in now, we see a lot of you know, fake news. Mm-hmm. So how do you weed out that fake news and understand what to actually learn from? Because the big saying is that in fourth grade or third grade, you move from learning to read to reading to learn. And with all that we have in our environment, there's a lot to read and there's a lot of wrong stuff to learn. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to teaching them how to be a safe learner on the on the Internet so that they can take that home and teach it to their brothers and sisters, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Because having that one piece will extend. I'm also looking forward to just incorporating social studies into each kind of unit as we Mm -hmm. go, however I can, because I have a lot of passion about Western Massachusetts and the state that we live in, Mm -hmm. as you can see. (laughs) Um, I mean, the giant UMass banner and the flags on the wall kind right. of, you know, give that away. Right. I'm very proud of our state. We got our state flag right up here as well. So I like to teach us different things and incorporate those into what we're learning. However, that may be, since we don't get a lot of time for social studies in the classroom, I kind of just put it in here and there when I can, with still teaching as intended. Everything else. Right. Because yeah. there's not, like, there's, you're, there's always something to teach. I know when I was, the times that I had been self-contained, I always tried to do some sort of project-based learning where it took math and science and English and put them all together Mm -hmm. so that students had to come up with an end product. I know for me, sometimes that was successful and sometimes 
it completely failed. But just having that opportunity, because I'm teaching every subject, I always felt was important to me. Absolutely. That's how I learned growing up. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think one way we're really looking to do that this year is with science and writing, especially being in the fourth grade next year. They have to take their science MCAS for the first year. Mm-hmm. We notice that they're struggling writing about science. They can write about point of views. They can restate opinions, mm-hmm. but they're struggling with taking facts out of an article and doing just simple writing to text. Here's what I learned into my own words. Mm-hmm. So we're working a lot on writing to text using science-based articles, and it takes a lot of um, standard matching in order to do that. So, for example, we had a book in here about earthquakes the other day, but we're not learning about earthquakes for another four months or so, three months. So choosing maybe texts that we can bring in about plants, plant parts, animals, animal parts, ecosystems, stuff like that, and then writing a prompt about that. That's awesome. I remember, I think it's fourth grade where you were talking about social studies and it was just coming to mind where the states were the big part of the standards. I know that they're revamping all the social studies standards right now, so... I hope that that stays a part of it, too, because that's also another great way to bring in science and social studies into writing itself, because you can use, like you were talking about Western Massachusetts. Well, if you're talking Western Massachusetts, you could be talking about like timber rattlers, and that could be your science article that you're reading about to go with the adaptations to Western Mass, so you're getting the Western Mass history in there and the geography all together. Right. So there's a lot of great things. It sounds like you're looking forward to being able to do this year. Absolutely. In regards to using technology, what are some things that you've learned over the last year that you are looking forward to trying to implement this year into different subjects? Um, One of the biggest things I'm learning is reading the statistics that come off of these these programs that we use, Mm -hmm. whether it be iWriting or Unified Classroom, it puts back data that we then have to infer and do something. Right. So actually learning what data to use, how to use it, how do we use um, domain placements to then bring in small groups and work with students to get them better in those places that we need to fill in the gaps that iReady is not filling in. I just got off track, though. Mm-hmm. You were talking, you said, in regards. Yeah, so in regards to using technology in the classroom, um, what are some things that you're looking forward to implementing that you've learned about last year or the summer? Or... Okay, yeah. And so statistics definitely is important because that's how you're going to base everything you're doing is how the students are doing. Yeah. But I also look forward to like, um, I use, what's the one I use? I can't remember what it's called. Screencastify now. Mm -hmm. I use that all the time. I used it more last year when I was self-contained because I found myself saying the same thing over and over and over again and losing a little bit of of flair in that (laughs) process. So by recording myself, I got to keep that flair and replay it. Um, however, I like being able to be personal with my students, but also have that factor of, wow, like what's, how'd that happen? So Screencastify allows you to put yourself on the screen, allows you to be the character on the screen, and then you can assign it through Unified Classroom, and they can watch the video directly through Unified Classroom. Like previously, last year was Brightspace, mm-hmm. and they see you on the video doing whatever it is to do. Now I have... I think about 30 videos as a bank that I can go back to. And mm-hmm. I'd like to re-shoot some of them because I spoke <laughs> about them in my first year of teaching. So they definitely need some work. But it allows me to, it's like an anchor chart. It's like a its like a group of anchor charts online. Yeah, I don't feel as much as though, like if you look around my room, I'm not the teacher that has the most organized 
um, anchor charts. The ones that you do see are colorful were written by another teacher. The ones that you see by me are very straightforward. They're like a list made anywhere, like any adult would make a list. I'm not great at being the artistic, artsy, bubble letters and all that sort of thing. So I use my strings to my advantages. And if I can't make those, what I can do is I can go online, I can record my screen on Screencastify. I can show if we're working on painted essays and we're talking about opening statements and coming up with three focuses that we're going to be talking about, I can model how I'm writing my opening. I can model how I'm finding three and I can put those in. I can say, and if a kid comes to me and says, Mr. A, I'm struggling with three resources. I'm struggling finding details or I'm struggling remembering how to format my writing or I'm struggling on how to make this table. How do you make a two by table? I, I can't remember. And instead of reteaching that skill or saying, go to this anchor chart, I can say, go into Unified Classroom, go into writing, go into our writing class and look at the video that talks about how to format your essay or how to indent, how to write your name, how to change font sizes, all these different things that you could find them on YouTube, but they're better coming from me and they're better to hear it from my voice on our website. So you mentioned Screencastify a few times now. I have a feeling that there's a number of people who listen to us who have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Can you kind of explain how yeah. it works? You should definitely get Screencastify. Um, if you go, all you have to do is type into Google Screencastify. It's a Google Chrome extension, which means it's not its own. It turns into its own web page, but you click on it as if you would a bookmark. It's up in the top right next to the URL bar. And once you add it to your extensions, it's just right there on Chrome. And then you would just click the button and it comes up with a, a screen that says record my voice, record my screen, record using my camera. You can click any one that you want. So if you want no audio, you can choose no audio. If you don't want to show your face on the video, don't show your face on the video. You can just have a mirror image of what you're doing on your screen. And as you move your mouse around, it shows every move that you're making while you're recording. And you can speak over that. So it gives you like the ability to narrate over your computer and then show them how or show them that narration. I've also used Screencastify for read alouds, lengthy read alouds. Um, for example, I was sick in the beginning of this year and I was lucky enough to have recorded a read aloud of the same book from last year. So instead of struggling through a 30 page read aloud with about a paragraph in each page, I just pulled up my video from last year, put it on the screen and I played the read aloud for them. And it saved me aggravation, time, <laughs> save my voice, let me recover. So it's a big teacher tool for whenever you need it. I also know um, my principal loved it last year when I was out for a full day of training. All the substitute had to do was press play and press pause at certain, press play and pause at certain points in the video. And I was there giving instructions on what to do. So they knew there was no error to be made really, except for a button being pushed. <laughs> That's nice. It sounds like it's a really great tool to have, especially when you're going to be out of the classroom. Right. Um, because you can allow, similar to like how you can use Unified Classroom to organize your class or Brightspace last year, you can leave instructions that are very clear to the student for the students, and it can be coming from you instead of a sub reading them off of a piece of paper. Yep. Which I think, I always felt like that always held the students more accountable than a sub being in here who had to remember to read what was written, if they read what was written. Yep. You never know what the subs that you get. So, right. And the other thing, too, is what I've noticed, just a big learning curve for me was to keep them short. 
just like any YouTube video you see, they're not usually over 20 minutes. And if it's for a fourth grader, it's certainly not over three minutes. So, unless it's a video game, right? Unless you're watching <laughs> play a video game, it's usually not over three minutes. So, knowing that, I wouldn't put a 30-minute video out there because then you can't say, just rewatch it, right? If you're confused, oh, Mr. A, what do I do again? Well, you could say, go back to minute this and second that. But I like to keep them short so that you can just say, rewatch the video. Rewatch re the video. I think, I think you'll get it in that video. So, it gives them... I mean, how many times does a teacher in elementary school repeat themselves a day? You know, so. I'm sorry, what was that? A teacher repeats himself. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got me. I got you. Yes, that is one thing that's always very big. So Screencast Spice sounds like it kind of works like Khan Academy type thing. Yeah. Um, and it's free. Yeah. So our, just so that people who are listening who have never heard of it before. Right. Can... There, There is a premium version you can buy. However, I've never paid for it and I've never needed to it's the only thing it allows you to do is I think trim your videos edit your videos it gives you that extra the extra bit but you can always just reshoot the video and I think you get 30 free per month so it's like you get one free video a day and I never made more than 30 videos in a month so I had plenty of reworking to do and now they're saved forever right? they're still on that they're still in that cache of videos I can go back to screencast if I open up their cache in my videos. I don't have to save them to my OneDrive. I don't have to save them to anything else. They're always there. That's nice. In Screencastify for me. Yeah. And so that 30 resets every month. Right. And it doesn't get rid of my last 30. Like, so if I recorded them a year ago, they're still there. That's awesome. Yeah. In so what kind of advice would you give new teachers to the district? With anything? Anything. Anything. I would say for new teachers, you definitely need to be open-minded. Be willing to learn because Springfield is a place where they throw many different things at you. The difficulties do not only come from the students. It comes from all over the place. It's not a bad thing. With difficulties comes improvement, right? So, for example, I had to learn Brightspace last year. And now this year I'm learning Unified Classroom. So something you learn one year may not apply the next year, but you got to be in that learning mentality so that you're always willing to accept new challenges. And that's what Springfield's all about is taking on the challenges and making do with what you got. If you can't do that, I would say different district would be the place to go. But Springfield is a place where you you become a good teacher. You can't not be a good teacher in Springfield after a few years. You might get kicked around a few times and test your limits and test your patience, but I feel much more prepared after one year in Springfield than I feel I would have a year any other district. And I also feel that Springfield gives you those tools that you need to become that better professional. It's just on you to make sure you're putting in the work to do it, right? Um, so always being open-minded. Any stereotypes that you had, you can throw them out right before you walk in the door. I thought I understood Springfield. Uh, come from Longmeadow, a very different town, but very close. And it was definitely a culture shock coming into, uh, coming into the north end of Springfield being my first year. Something I always told myself as a teacher, I would never teach in Springfield. I would never teach in Springfield. And now I find myself in Springfield, one, because my principal wanted me. I applied, and he was eager to get me. I thought that was nice, and he recognized our abilities. So recognize that you were chosen for a reason. Recognize that you have a job for a reason. You've done this full, You've done these five years of schooling for a reason, and now you just got to use them. It's going to be challenging. Just keep going. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for your time as we wrap up today. I know you got to get to the end of the day, and it is a Friday after all. So, Absolutely. have a good weekend. Thank you very much.
Thank you again, William, for allowing me to be a part of your classroom and just listening in to all the great things that are going on. I hope our listeners will get a lot out of it. I know I did. And William is super excited about all the things that he's able to do in the classroom, whether that's using iReady or the McGraw-Hill book and teaching students to become digital learners. A lot of times we talk about students being digital natives, but that doesn't mean that they know how to learn digitally. And this is one of the things that William has been focusing on this year, which is awesome. And a whole host of other tools that he is using, like STEM scopes, and even thinking about doing thematic content and really incorporating science and social studies into his English lessons. So again, thank you, William, for allowing me to be a part of your day. As we begin to wrap up today, I just want to thank you again for listening and spending some time with me on the SPS Digital Learning Hour. If you love this episode, please go out there and give us a review or rating. We'd love to hear back from you. So wherever you listen to us, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, just listen to us. Make sure you share this podcast, especially if you got a lot out of it. Make sure that you are a subscriber. This is all stuff that will help us continue to grow this podcast and help reach all teachers not just here in Springfield, where we spend a lot of our times, but across the world, because there are amazing things happening in classrooms every day. And I am super excited that I get to be able to be a part of that and be able to share the things that teachers are doing. I'm Mike Thomas, the Bearded Tech Ed Guy, and this is the SBS Digital Learning Hour.